Hello, Anders Holmes here of the Holmes Movies Podcast uh, with a quick announcement before we get into the episode. Merry Christmas to one and all, uh, for starters. Um, during the episode when we were reading out uh, some little contributions to the episodes with people who commented with their favorite Christmas movies, I forgot to mention uh, Samir Alam who commented on the post that I tweeted on my personal Twitter page, at Fabricius91. Um, and he put a gif uh, he put he tweeted a gif from uh, Die Hard so I forgot to bring him up during the episode when we were we were recording it so I just wanted to do uh, just uh, record this little bit just to give him a quick shout out for the episode and uh, apologies for not bringing him up in the episode but yes uh, do follow him at Samir Alam 94 uh, apologies if I pronounce your name wrong yeah on with the show thank you very much hope you enjoy it on the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me twelve drummers drumming, eleven lords a leaping, ten ladies dancing, nine pipers piping, eight maids a milking, seven swans a swimming, six geese a laying, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves. And a partridge in a pear tree. Ho, ho, ho! Welcome to another episode of Ho, Ho, Home's Movies Top Tens here in time for Christmas. That sounds an awful lot like your Halloween voice. It does sound a bit, yeah. They kind of blend. Was... Halloween and Christmas are quite close together. Yeah, aren't they? yeah, they are. They are a little bit. I guess it's a bit Nightmare Before Christmas. Is it a Halloween film? Is it a Christmas movie? You know. I'll tell you what the fucking Nightmare Before Christmas is. Omicron. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that uh, that yep, is true. Because if you notice something scary this Christmas, it's the it's the coronavirus. Um, uh, it's, it's, not... it's 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 the Krampus this year. Yes, it's the fucking pain in the ass. Anyway. Uh, let's not talk about that. Hope everyone yes. is safe and yeah. doing well yeah. out there in Christmas land. Um, uh, da, 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 war on Christmas. Let's not talk about politics. Um, so, how are you this this festive season? I'm I'm good. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty good. I had my um my, I had my five year anniversary with my girlfriend Felina recently, and I'm mm-hmm. um, looking forward to having Christmas with her, her first Christmas with her family, having just moved to Aarhus and. Uh, our mother's coming over and that should go should well. <laughs> that should, yeah. should be good. Go. Good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Have you got the necessary amount of alcohol to keep yourself numbed to the Yeah, awkwardness? I do. I, I, I bought something called it, it it it's basically like a gin gluck. Yes. So it's be, it's, it's, it, like, it's mulled, like mulled wine with gin in it. Yeah, but you put it. It's well, like that'll, it, that'll, that'll soften the blow. <laughs> it's like it's it's like I was because I, I, I saw it at a shop. Have we tried I tried that on COVID. No, but about the <laughs> shot. <laughs> no, but it's basically it's like you get gin and then you get hot water and stir it in, and it should be nice. The 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 wine Sounds merchant like told a me real... how. To... An alcoholic's dream. <laughs> it's like it's not mulled wine, honest. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, like, it's stronger than petrol. Um, I haven't tasted it yet, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Got a bunch of Christmas beers, and uh, oh shit, that's nice. Oh yeah, because they do the special Christmas beers in Denmark. Yeah, they do yeah. the Tuborg and Jakobsen. They do. They've got a couple of uh, Christmas beers, like big bottles of Christmas beer. I got given well, they should, a they should sponsor us. Yeah, I got given a ten uh, percent beer. Uh, for an advent gift from uh, my girlfriend's parents. 
That's interesting. Um, I um, yeah, American beers are quite strong um, these days. All the craft breweries and stuff. Um, so it's always a bit of a it's always a bit of a dicey business trying to find beer that's the right strength. But look, we're not here to talk about beer. As nice as that. Um, it's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love. It feels like Christmas. Now that's going to annoy me. What's that from? It's the song from Buffett's Christmas Carol. Oh shit! Oh, a cup of kindness on, that okay. we share with another, a sweet reunion with a friend or a brother. In all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. Is it is the season of the heart, a special time of caring. The ways of love made clear. And it is the season of the spirit. The oh, message, God. if we hear it, is make it last all year. Ah, okay, so stop, 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 stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw it yesterday for the first time in a, in a, in a while. It was, uh, oh, I, I, uh, it's really good. Even though they do cut out that, uh, for some reason, they cut out that, that scene where Ebenezer Scrooge's girlfriend sings. They cut that scene out. Yeah, but isn't that quite bad anyway no it's I, I find that actually quite moving it's very jarring because then it just she just like walks away and then you just see Rizzo the rat crying and it's just like a very like short scene Disney cut it out to like make to cut away the sadness yeah they didn't want to make children cry but a lot of people like well, that scene fucking, quite a lot. Right, explain Bambi then <laughs> I think yeah but, it was like Jeffrey Katzenberg who was the head of Disney at the time before he headed off to DreamWorks he thought it was something that uh, would upset the children Anyway, well, we can talk about Muppet's Christmas Carol because I think yes. it might be on the list. But look, yes. um, what this whole thing in Christmas songs of like, I wish it was Christmas every day. I wish Christmas could last. I wish it no? could be Christmas oh. every day. Andy. Yes, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> Shutting up. It, it's like no one, <laughs> no one, um, no one wants it to be Christmas every day. No one in the world wants that except maybe my friend Matt. Like, it's insane to want that. It's like you cannot have that much family time, that much food that much booze that much like coziness like you'd go crazy you need the, the whole point about christmas is it provides a contrast to the rest of the year except this christmas which is going to be just as shit as the rest of the year because of covid but that's that's leaving that aside um the can, can we embark? so just to, to remind people this is an episode of homes and movies top tens we've been doing several lists um some have been more popular than others for whatever reason. We're hoping that Christmas will be super popular because everyone loves Christmas, uh, especially um, crazy right wing people for some reason. Um, but um, yeah, here we it's, are. Just, it's, it's, it's uh, like it's it's this time of the year. It's like is the baby it's cold outside a bit of a bad song is uh oh, yeah, yeah. Is, should, is, should that be cancelled should christmas should, be cancelled should that be cancelled um is there a war on christmas is so you know people are saying merry christmas to you like they're saying heil hitler and you're just like chill um and um, <laughs> is, is fairy tale new york because of the use of the f word in that song should that be cancelled as well uh well no um I, but but also should um uh you know is that the best christmas song ever uh, yes is the answer it is, um, it is it is the best christmas song ever yeah uh, anyway look we're not here to talk about Take all the christmas that headlines McCartney. um we're not oh, <laughs> don't even want to talk about that um we're not here to talk about the best Stop. Wonderful... okay <laughs> um i mean it um, <laughs> that that's too far. Um, bah, humbug. If you're going to know, but if you're, if you're going to talk about a solo career Beatles uh, Christmas song, it's Merry Christmas, War is Over, or it ain't anything. Um, 
I can't think of a Christmas one by George Harrison. Um, oh, tell you what, here's a good Christmas song that people might not. Uh, two, actually, I'll give you two two bonus recommendations. One is Circle of Steel by Gordon Lightfoot. Great Christmas mm-hmm. song. The second one is The Cowboy's Christmas Ball by The Killers. And if you haven't heard that, put it on after this I haven't podcast. heard the, that it one. It would genuinely put a smile on your face. It's a very jolly song. It's kind of got a Springsteen-y country vibe. It's a yeah. very, very fun song. Anyway. Uh, just thinking about it, this Christmas <sighs> songs for a minute. We're going to start the podcast. The listeners are turning <laughs> off, before, Andy. The, just the before, listeners just... are turning off the podcast. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. Yeah, you know one person who I want to make a Christmas album? Eddie no. Vedder. Yeah, that would be good. That would um, be good. Yeah. So if you're uh, listening, anyway. if you're listening, Eddie. Yeah. Well, you never maybe. know. You might. Yeah. You might have done one. Um, yeah. there's, there are weirder Christmas albums out there. Okay, we're not. Okay, that's it. We're top ten. We're top ten yes. movies. We're doing the countdown. What's at number ten? So at number 10 is technically a Christmas movie and also a James Bond film, which we did talk about during Bond Backwards, and that is On Her Majesty's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. So um the yeah, only film that George Lazenby did. <laughs> yeah, as Bond. He's been in other films, but they're all crap. Um he um so so a lot of people are going, What? On Her Majesty's Secret Service. But yes, think about it. A lot of the film <laughs> is set during Christmas in the snow, which is Christmassy, and Christmas is integral to the plot because it's the Christmas presents that Blofeld, played by Telly Savalas, gives to the various ladies that he has in his clinic. It, it's those that are going to spread the, the the disease or whatever the fuck the, the thing is. The, vi- the virus! It's a fucking virus! It's, it's an Omicron movie! <laughs> <laughs> like him, and, him and Hugo Drax had like, they probably came up with COVID together. Yeah, well, and fucking Safin sitting at the back of the room being like, I've got an idea. And like, <laughs> shut up, you're crap. Um, Nobody wants your nanobots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take your nanobots and shut it. Um, I um, I think On Her Majesty's Secret Service is going through a renaissance. I think it is being yeah. re um, evaluated and reappreciated uh, by a, a new generation of Bond fans. And I think it has so much to say for it. I mean, we talked about this on Bond Backwards, but I yeah. think. It has, um, you know, it, it, it's tremendous amounts of fun. It's got some great set pieces. It's got some of the best music of the entire series. It's got yeah. a, a great cast outside of George Lazenby. And, um, Dame Diana Rigg, rest in peace. And Diana Rigg. And I, I swear to God, if we're talking about Christmas moments, the bit where she shows up on the ice skates during the, in the Christmas fair thing and he's sitting there looking all despondent, that's one of the most, like, romantic and, like, sweet moments in all of the Bond canon. Like, yeah. forget about Lea Seydoux for a second. Like, that is just such a wonderful moment of, like, just pure kind of Hollywood romance. And I'm, I'm all, I'm here for it. And then there's the skiing and we love the skiing in the Bond films. We love the... the I, yeah. The I, I feel music. like in the next James Bond film, like, whoever it's going to be, they got to bring back sharks and skiing. The two yes, S's. Skiing, sharks and, yeah. and skiing. Yes, and, and I think... Um, and some more of that sort of silly locations, you know, think about, you know, think about that, uh, guys. Um, and um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. We don't want to get into that subject right now. But, um, but yeah, yes. Majesty Service, a great Christmas film. Yes. So we go to number nine. Yes. So at number nine is, of course, uh, a great childhood favorite of ours. We've just been talking about it. And that is A Muppet's Christmas Carol. The Muppet's Christmas Carol. It's a Muppet's Christmas Carol. Oh, is it? Oh, fuck. Sorry. I think okay. it is. It's a Muppet. Oh, I'll just quickly look it up. Or a Muppet. <laughs> a Muppet's um, 
Oh, it's is the it Muppet. A- oh, it's the Muppets Christmas yeah. Carol. I, I thought it was a. I thought it was a. I thought it was. Thought it was uh, only uh, eight Muppets Christmas Carols are there. There's only one. <laughs> the, 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 a mu- okay, fine. You're a Muppet. <laughs> so yeah, the movie was uh, directed by uh, Brian and- Henson. He was. Uh, Who- Gives a shit who directed the Muppets. I love how you start with that. It's like we're, we want to talk about Rizzo, Gonzo, <laughs> Tiny Tim, who did not die, and <laughs> Michael Caine. And you were going like the film's cinematographer was <laughs> it's John Fenner, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Brian Henson, though, is he Jim Henson's son or something? Yeah, I was just about to say that he was Jim Henson's son, and this was his directorial debut. And he and also this was his di- oh, and this was I misheard. And and he also directed Muppet Treasure Island as well. Well, that's a great film, but it's not a Christmas film. No, it isn't um, a Christmas movie. So Muppet Christmas Carol is so fucking good. People yes. might be laughing and being like, why is the Muppet Christmas Carol in the top 10? Why isn't, you know, a better film in the top 10? I challenge you to go and watch. This is the only version of the... Oh, no, it isn't. Actually, sorry. Whoops. I nearly said something wrong. But this is... This is there, are, there are classic versions of the Christmas Carol, like the one with Alistair Sim. It's not in the top 10. There are there are there are wonderful versions of this uh, story all over the place. There's but a this... western with Jack Palance where he plays Ebenezer Scrooge. What? Okay, <laughs> tell me about that offline. Okay. Uh, this 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 is actually, and I really mean this, a fantastic Christmas film because it ca- it it's fun for all the family in the yeah. truest sense. It's a great kids film. It's enormously fun to watch for um, people who were kids at the time, for millennials now, you know, people still, I mean, when you think about Christmas films that are trending on Twitter these days, it's right at the top of the list. And there's a reason for that. It's not just people liking it ironically. It is a really great um, uh, a piece of children's entertainment. You know, it is, it's like pantomime brought to life. It's, uh, it's got the puppetry, which, you know, we love it. We love Muppets. We love Muppet puppets. And we love the, we love the sets and the songs are really good as, except when they're sung by you and the, um, Hey. <laughs> and having Michael Caine as uh, Scrooge was, was a masterstroke. But yeah. you just watched it, so, so what do you? I, think? I I did just watch fresh it. Off I, the, yeah. Fresh off, yeah, I saw it on uh, Disney Plus, and um, yeah, we had it on VHS. And as soon as like the credits started happening and the the music kicked in, it sort of I just sank back into my childhood of watching it on VHS and just watching it on repeat, like that and Muppets Treasure Island. We watched those. Stop on talking repeat. about Muppets Treasure Island. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just it's just like i think it, it's one of those films where i just feel like i wish we lived in a world like when i watch something like who framed roger rabbit in I a wish world we, it was like we, i wish we lived in a world where we could interact with animated characters it would be crazy but it would be kind of cool as well and if you kind smoke of... enough weed you can do that you know <laughs> <laughs> but like I, it's just like the muppets like the puppets the muppets they they look real like they look so realistic and i just love the way like well, they, they are real yeah i know they're real but like they're, they're not cgi i know that's cgi but they feel like they're, they're not they're just they're just human they're like puppets not being like controlled by a hand they no 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 no. i refuse to accept that there are people's hands inside of them those are all living creatures gonzo is a real person who you could meet on the street i do love the um i first i love how it adheres to the story um and there are just so many memorable moments um the screw screws telling the, the the people in his office that they're going to be unemployed it's so wonderful the music is great all the songs by paul williams yeah. are amazing who also wrote the music for the songs for uh bugsy malone and also for the brilliant brian de palma rock opera film uh phantom of the paradise which is just brilliant 
Well, the, the songs in this are great. I mean, there goes Mr. Humbug. There goes, there goes Mr. Grimm. Yeah. They gave a prize for being, for being me. The winner, winner would be would him. him. He must yeah. be so lonely. He must be so sad. <laughs> the sweet man inside. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. But also, I think like Michael Caine reading it on uh, IMDb trivia, he said to Brian Henson, "I'm going to play this like I'm in the Royal Shakespeare Company. I'm not going. I'm just going to interact like these Muppets um, are humans." Brian, listen to me. I'm going to play this like I'm in the Royal Shakespeare Company. All right. I don't mind if there are Muppets all around me. I'm going to pretend that they are John Gilgood and that they're Richard Burton and that they are Dame Judi Dench. All right. <laughs> And then Brian Henson was like, I'm going yes. to be the best Scrooge you've ever seen. All right. Patrick Stewart's got nothing on me. Yeah. Alistair Sim. Oh, shit him. Uh, no, that was sorry. That's Bob Hawkins. Wrong <laughs> guy. Um, but right, th- okay. there was, a, there, was a, there was a Christmas Carol with George C. Scott. <laughs> bah! Humbug! <laughs> <laughs> These are not Tiny Tim eggs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Did you know that there was a razor back in my truck? Did you? There's a razor back in my truck. <laughs> this is getting weird. Um, if you haven't seen The Muppet's Christmas Carol, go watch it. It's a delight. I mean that unironically. And you know how cynical and flinty I am about this stuff. It's fucking wonderful. Right, number eight. So at number eight is John Landis's uh, Christmas classic or Christmas comedy classic, uh, Trading Places with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. And... Um, yeah, this was like, I think this was like... Ha, any- ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Merry New Year! Happy. In this country, we say happy. <laughs> yes. Um, but also, I feel like like at this point, like in Eddie Murphy's career, like he went from 48 hours, I think, to this, and then like a few years later, then he was in Beverly Hills Cop and he was a freaking rock star. Like, he, it was just amazing. Well, and, I mean, his... his uh, this uh, And don't forget about coming to America and... Um... Well, that came much later. That came like late 80s. Oh, I see. Okay. That was yeah, that was that was eighty seven. But that was like in the sort of part of John Landis's career when he was a little bit persona non grata after the whole um, Twilight Zone helicopter accident. Oh, oh, I didn't know about that. Uh, but anyway, um, the, the 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 Training Places is a wonderful film. It's definitely a Christmas film. Um, it also a New Year's film, um, and it um, it features Jamie Lee Curtis as well and uh, yes. the brilliant Denham Elliott eggnog um <laughs> i love the way, i love the way he, he says that so i was just thinking about it now just like, like it was like eggnog yeah. and uh um, ralph bellamy and ralph bellamy and donna mesh who played yeah, the what's uh, his name from um from breakfast club um oh what's his name i'll i'll look it up i'll look it up he's the guy who's always the antagonist you know like he's 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 in this he's in um die hard as the cop who doesn't want to believe in anyone and then he's the the teacher in breakfast club he has so many like brilliant 80s Touchstones. Paul, Paul, Paul Gleason, Clarence Beats. Paul Gleason, yeah. I'll rip out your eyeballs and piss on your brain. I love that. I love the um, uh, the Jim Belushi cameo um, at the end. There's also uh, Al Franken is in this film. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, there's and a few Frank, and Frank Oz, La, the, La Bohème, La Bohème. It's an opera. It's an <laughs> opera. You know what this does to kids? Does. Yeah, <laughs> you're looking at three to five mandatory, Lewis. <laughs> Yeah, he's very funny. I mean, it's it's a very very well done uh, sort of. Well, yeah. I mean, like a lot of Christmas films, it has a sort of morality, um, yeah, play element to it. Like a, a character has to go on an arc and learn a lesson and grow, and then the uh, the evil doers have to be 
uh, if not punished, at least found out, and justice has to be sort of done uh, at the end of the film. I think this is also very interesting as like an 80s film because it's all about like um, that sort of money, 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 like grubby sort of capitalism that was going on in the 80s, so like just like flagrant like um, consumption. And, and I think the um, beginning of the film and, and actually, you know, in the credits, but also throughout the film, um, there are these there's a lot of social commentary but what the credits do really well is sort of they con contrast the um the wealthy splendor of sort of rich white america with often you know majority black like poor uh, urban america and um i think there's a there's a lot of um that kind of in the film if you care to see it you know and i think that the race element um is is done pretty well considering how old it is um and that it's directed by you know a white director and has a majority white cast etc cetera, etc cetera. but like um yeah i think there's there's plenty in this film to sort of tell you about the time and the place in which it was made um mm. and it's kind of worth thinking like have we are we in a new moment where you know where we are also just like all of us frantically trying to accumulate money and wealth and whatever and and allowing society to become like stupidly um unequal and um unjust as a result you know there's a so there's yeah. a christmas message is what i'm saying uh, yeah. it also has one of the great dan Arkwood had uh, just on a completely different note has one of the great noises his yeah but also i mean it does kind of harken back to like those screwball comedies of the 1930s it does have that sort of feel about yeah. it in some ways right and just like in the 30s where the hollywood code dictated that things had to be sort of tidied up and the you know good had to win out etc this film kind of adheres to that rules uh, to those rules um but also exploring um the idea of sex work and um you know uh the class system and racism etc etc so um yeah it's uh, it's terrifically fun and um just talking about it is making me want to watch it yeah i haven't seen it in such a long time i really want to watch it again so at number seven is another 80s Christmas movie uh, from 1984. It was directed by Joe Dante and produced by Steven Spielberg. And the screenplay was written by Chris Columbus. And that is the uh, horror comedy classic Gremlins. So I haven't seen this and I'm interested that you've put this on the list instead of Black Christmas. I thought you were going to go with that as your like horror entry. I think with Gremlins, it's the one that I come back to quite a lot because it just has that kind of watch re- it's easy to rewatch. I think with like Black Christmas, because it's such a like bleak and like ugh, kind of film, it's like it's quite hard to sort of like, you know, rewatch it in some kind of ways. But but with I think with this one, because it has that wonderful 80s humor and like the creature effects are really good and it has this really nice message about responsibility and being an adult and you there know, we go Christmas messages again. Yeah. And also just like I think they shot. The, uh, the exteriors, I think they shot in the same place as Back to the Future. Like they just kind of Christmased it up so it didn't look like Hill Valley. Hill, they just, Hill Valley. Yeah. yeah so they changed, they changed it up a little bit. So basically, the plot of the film, in case anyone hasn't seen it, um, well, I, think, I think I'm probably the only person involved with this podcast whether you know on it or listening to it who hasn't seen it but whatever yeah so uh the film stars zach galligan play who plays a character called billy peltster who um his dad played by hoyt axton who is a um is a singer and, 
yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a singer and songwriter. And... I, I don't know Hoyt Axton, I didn't know he was in this movie. Uh, but yeah, so his dad, Hoyt, played by Hoyt Axton, is a, an inventor. A lot, of it, a lot of his inventions seem good in theory, but don't really work. And that's like a big funny running gag where they all sort of fall apart and stuff, and it's quite funny. And so he comes back after being away trying to sell some of his inventions, and he comes back with this box and inside the box is this cute little furry creature that would give baby yoda a run for his money and it's this it's a mugwai it's it's and the cat and and it's an and indie it, rock band <laughs> and it's just so adorable when it comes out of the box and it's just so adorable but it's 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 in the beginning of the film the first scene is him getting the box from a he goes to this chinese antique shop in a very sort of like i mean the beginning that's of so the 80s isn't it, isn't it that, that whole thing of like oh it, that sort of slightly racist sort of orientalism that goes i was like oh we're gonna go get something wacky from the chinese antique shop you know yeah so it, it's a little bit stereotypical and racist a little bit and so he gets this creature from the grandson of the shop owner because he says mogwai demands discipline and basically there are three rules with gizmo he has to avoid Wait, gizmo some... is the mogwai Gizmo is the Mogwai. The Mog. And what are the Gremlin? Uh, well, I'll get to that. So there are three rules with the Mogwai. It uh, you can't expose it to light, especially sunlight. It will kill it. Mm. Oh, it, sh okay. it shouldn't come in contact with water. No light, no water. Okay, got. Gotcha. And above all else, never feed it after midnight. Okay. And basically, all those rules are steadily broken. And out of the Mogwai come these little creatures that end up turning into gremlins and they spawn and they take over the town in humorous and dark ways. Like the screenplay was a lot darker, but they made it a little bit more family friendly. And this and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, they actually introduced the PG-13 because this was a PG film and pe people probably took their kids to see it and thought, this is a little bit dark for children, isn't it? And then they sort of introduced the uh, the the PG, the PG the, rating, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very fun film. It's hilarious. The creature effects are pretty good. I think Joe Dante is uh, he knows how to do those types of films. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his movies. I like The Howling. Um, Piranha is 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 quite good fun. He also did a Looney Tunes movie in 2003, which is also pretty good. I would like to see more of his stuff, including like a lot of his 80s movies, which I haven't watched yet. And he also did contribute to that Twilight Zone, uh, Twilight Zone movie that um, uh, John Landis did. And he also directed Gremlins 2, which Rick Baker did the makeup on. And one of the things that Rick Baker brought to the Gremlins 2 was making all the different Gremlins different. Like he made them all different characters because in this one they all kind of look they're like, like Ewoks. <laughs> yeah a little bit but like they look different but they have like different co like costumes and stuff and there's one like very hilarious scene where all the gremlins have taken over the cinema in the town and they start watching Snow White and then they're sort of like wow wow and they do the the voice and stuff and I mean every time Mogwai is on screen it's just it's just oh it warms my heart the first time I watched this i was like you just we... love creatures yeah it's just really <laughs> that cute. aren't real yeah i love it it's just like his little smile that he does and he does that little like song like kind of thing it's really cute 
Well, I'm definitely going to try and watch this. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know what the hell happened why I got managed to get through my entire youth without watching Gremlins. But there you go. Uh, what's at number six? Uh, at number six is uh, the film, which I forgot was actually a Christmas movie until you sent me a text message about it, is uh, the uh, Martin McDonough uh, Hitman movie in Bruges. Yeah, so it's, uh, it is a Christmas film. It's set in Bruges, which is a very Christmassy place at Christmas. Um, and it's um, yeah, it's a reworking of the dumb waiter, the Pinter play, where two hitmen are uh, together in this sort of slightly offbeat universe, and it turns out that one of them has been ordered to kill the other one, and um, they're played by Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson, who are both brilliant, and yeah. uh, their boss is played by Ralph Fiennes, Rafe, uh, Rafe, Fiennes, Rafe, 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 excuse me, um, and. Um, uh and and the film is just completely delightful it's it's a great uh location a piece of like location work and uh it's it's fantastically well written with a with a lot of incredibly funny lines and uh, the performances are brilliant and it's actually surprisingly um moving and um and sort of poignant and i think is uh, just a very enjoyable uh seasonal film yeah it's a it, i mean it it really makes you want to go to bruges and i know you've been to it did, bruges. It made me want to go i went yeah yeah <laughs> but it's just like I booked tickets i was like wow it looks nice <laughs> went, went down with uh, my girlfriend at the time and yeah. um and it was a uh, yeah a lovely weekend in bruges not at christmas but at, uh yeah and we didn't get uh we didn't get chased around the markets by you know a, a gun-wielding <laughs> lunatic but it's um yeah, it I mean, does. It was, it, uh, I love the dialogue. Every time it's like, it's like I'm not trying to be funny, but you're a cunt. You're, you're a cunt now, and you've always been a cunt. <laughs> the only thing that's going to change is that you're going to be an even bigger cunt. <laughs> and I love that it's an inanimate fucking object. You're an inanimate fucking object. <laughs> like how fucking dare you? You take you retract that bit about my cunt fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> but that whole, um... but, but also like, you know, like all these actors, they played like serious roles before, but. They show they are. I mean, Ray Fiennes can be absolutely hilarious. He is so funny in this, um, and in um, obviously in Grand Budapest, um, yeah, which has Christmassy elements, although it's not a Christmas film. It's a, um, it's a, again, it's a snow film. <laughs> yeah, snow film, not a Christmas film. Um, he's um, he's terrific. I mean, Brendan Gleeson, Colin, Powell, they're, they're all yeah, they're all actors associated with serious roles, and I think that's one of the things that makes this work. But it's also that particular. Doesn't Martin McDonough have a brother as well? Yeah, John Michael McDonough, who did The Guard and Calvary, and he also did another film called War and Everyone, which was like an American movie. It wasn't as popular as his first two films. I think he's doing another movie. I'm not quite sure. And and, and Michael McDonough, I think did. Well, one of them did this play I went to see called The Hangman in London. And oh, they, that, I think that might have been Martin McDonough. And he also did something called The, the Pillow Pillow Man or The Pillow Man or something like that. Pillow Man, I have seen and is amazing. And, um, and, and he did Seven Psychopaths, right? Seven Psychopaths and uh, Three Billboards uh, Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Which I have, admittedly, I haven't seen. But the, the, um, the, I did those two plays, I think, helped me understand like what he's all about. And that's sort of, um, that universe of of in of it's kind of a violent world that he creates where death is actually quite common and quite and life is kind of cheap but where everyone is super funny and um and the lines are just so crisp but also a little bit like offbeat and there's a sort of it's it's almost there's a sort of undertone of goth or something going on like something um truly sort of gothic at the at the base of it but also very um 
there's there's a good natured core somewhere in there like it can feel from the outside like oh this is like kind of psychotic but it's actually um it's just it's walking a very careful tightrope i feel like a lot like his writing and i think this film um is is part of that as well like there is there is great heart in this plot about terrible people doing terrible things in a beautiful way yeah it's a, so, it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful film it's very i was the first time i watched it i did find it very funny but i was also very like surprised by how dark and violent the movie gets yeah well anyway um did we get any listener interactions this week we did we got a little bit of it uh the dear bastard podcast uh got in contact with us and said obviously scrooged uh richard donner's bill uh, film with bill murray that has to be there Mm-hmm. Our sister Lily M- McGuire commented by saying, um, "Not Christmas without dot dot dot," and it's a gif from the movie um, "The Holiday" with Kate Winslet, Eli Wallach, Cameron Diaz, and Jude Law. Yes, which is shit, uh, and therefore oh, not it's a lovely film. It's, it's a- sight. <laughs> it's a lovely film. Jack Black oh, is right. wonderful in it. Uh, it's I I can't stand that sort of saccharine nonsense. Anyway, uh, uh, what uh, else do we and have? and the film geezers at the film geezers film podcast. Geezers. All right, <laughs> all right, you film geezers. How are you doing? Okay, um, I'll tell you what's a good Christmas movie, my boy. Uh, they wrote Muppet Christmas Carol is the goat, uh, the greatest of all time. Well, according to us, it's number nine. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that film, geezers. Cheers, bros. Um, yeah. So thanks very much for them, and we will uh, we will add their information of Twitter information, not their you know account information, so people can rob them. Yes, we will the add their social security numbers. Yes, so you you should follow Dear Bastard because it's a great podcast. I don't know film geezers, but I'm going to check them out. Um, uh, I've and- not I've not had any interaction with them, but they were kind enough to comment on one of the just tweets. Popped out of the ether to say hello, did they? Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's not alienate future followers, Adam. <laughs> I don't have any followers uh, left to alienate. Okay. Okay. Um, so, well, that's nice. So we had some nice interactions, and yeah. um, should we I give hope, some uh, honorable mentions? Honorable mentions. Well, first, I wanted to say there are a lot of films out there that have scenes that are Christmassy, but where the rest of the film has nothing to do with Christmas. So, one that springs to mind is the last couple of scenes of The Night of the Hunter, which is one of my very favorite films. Mm. Um, another one is uh, Black Narcissus. Uh, the Powell and Pressburger film. On, where the, cri- middle- on, the, cri- on the Criterion channel, that's part of that uh, blue Christmas collection, of, 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 along with a few other films, including The Morning at the Ozone Family, which is a Japanese movie. I, I, I can't remember if that was actually a Christmas movie or not, because it's been a while since I've seen it, but it only, it only well, has... Like, is, isn't really a Christmas film. There are scenes set at Christmas, but it's, yeah. not, it's, not, it's not what it's about. So it's not in there. there. Another film that we've talked about on the podcast before is The Silent Partner, where... Christopher Plummer dresses up as a uh, as a Santa to rob a bank, um, but um, of course, that's that's not a Christmas film either. Although there is a lot of stuff set at Christmas, but we had to be, you know, there's a lot of Christmas out there, so we had to be careful. Um, other honourable mentions uh, from my uh, perspective include um, uh, the Bishop's Wife, which is a charming uh, Hollywood um, film with Cary Grant, Loretta Young, and David Niven where uh, Cary Grant plays an angel. Uh, then there's The Thin Man, the, um, the Myrna Loy and uh, uh, Michael Powell. No, Michael Powell. Um, shit, what's his name? Colin Powell? Oh, Colin, Colin Powell, <laughs> the late Colin Powell. Uh, what's his 
fucking name. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Thin Man film is, is, is one of the Nick and Nora, you know, the private detective. Yeah, 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 yeah. William um, Powell. William Powell, thank you. Um, which is really fun and has him shooting uh, decorations of a Christmas tree with an air rifle at one point. Very nearly made the list, but didn't quite make the cut. And then another one of my uh, nominations um, was Bad Santa. Um, <laughs> Which is uh, which is hilarious, but probably not top ten material. What have you got on your honorable mentions list? So I put Elf, the Will Ferrell Christmas movie, which is a it's a really really nice uh, film directed by uh, John Favreau. Uh, Will Ferrell plays uh, Buddy, who is a what, human. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't do a synopsis for a film that's not on the top ten. Elf. What else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, yeah, sometimes called Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas, but it was directed by Henry. It's not the Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a Nightmare Before Christmas. Are you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about it. <laughs> so the other film I put on is a film that came out last year uh, called Happiest Season, which is co-written and directed by Claire Duval, uh, which has a very uh, which has an LGBT uh, storyline. Speaking of that, I've never seen Carol. Have you seen Carol? Carol is a beautiful film. It's so good. I have, um, I've not seen Carol, but I, I do really want to. Um, yeah, so, uh, but, so that's uh, a lot uh, of Well, I, I had another one. Uh, the other one on there is a movie called Tangerine, which was the film directed by Sean Baker, which is, a, is an extremely good film. And it, it, it got a lot of buzz at the time because it was like, ooh, it was shot on an iPhone. What, what do you mean? Ugh. Use a fucking camera. <laughs> Use a phone. It looks good. You mean you can't? I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah. I give a fuck if it's you know they said it's just shot on iPhone seven. Yeah, but it, it's it, off and use a shitting camera. And um, I and I also had Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is also a film set at Christmas time, like a lot of Shane Black's movies, like Lethal Weapon, Iron Man. I swear to God, yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember. Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, I'm well, Lethal Weapon, I guess, is an honourable mention then, too. I mean, I'm trying to remember, there, there are loads of films that are set at Christmas. Oh, I'll tell you what, another film that has Christmassy moments in it is The Godfather, which we mentioned last time. Yeah. And uh, Black Christmas as well, which you did mention before, which is a good Christmas movie to watch. A very creepy Christmas movie. Yes. Oh, and actually one final shout out for the short animated film The Snowman, which um, spawned the brilliant... Um, we're walking in the air song which was sung by alan jones um but also is one of the most moving little cartoons you could ever watch um yeah it's and, hard um, to watch it's hard to watch that one out tearing up at the end fear in the eye yeah. yeah uh is the shining a christmas film no it's a That's snow a, film it's a snow film <laughs> snow it's, it's a snow film but it's snow christmas film um maybe we should do a top 10 snow films you know Next nothing, time. John Snow. Um, right. Uh, I don't number want five. It. Do we do five? Yes, we'll do five. Uh, so at number five is the Richard Donner film. Again, another adaptation of A Christmas Carol, uh, Scrooged, uh, starring Bill Murray. Which I have to admit, I have not seen, but the Dear Bastard fellas uh, yeah. recommended it. And it was also generally, I think, considered one of the great Christmas films. So. Um, yeah. And it does, I mean, despite, despite the fact Richard Donner and Bill Murray did not get along, and also Rich, Bill Murray is a very hard person to get along with, I think on the Charlie's Angels... Oh, he, isn't he really, isn't he famously really nice? 
Yeah, but there's been times like you're, you're, during... you don't you want to be careful about bad mouthing Bill Murray, my friend. I'm not Bill Ma- bad, bad Bill Bill Bad Murray. <laughs> you did. You just said he's hard to get along with. No, it's just like on some films, like depending on how grumpy he is, like sometimes he's not easy to work with. I remember like hearing stories of him on the first Charlie's Angel set, like him and Lucy Liu got into a fight because he criticized her acting and he headbutted. And then she the... cut the top of his head off with a sword, and then she said, "If anyone else has got something to say, now's the fucking time." <laughs> No, but that would have been interesting if she actually did try to do that. Um, as he he famously fell out with Harold Ramis when they were doing Groundhog Day, and they didn't make up until just before Harold Ramis passed away. And he gave a very moving uh, tribute to him at the Oscars when he was presenting an award for uh, best cinematography. And um, Bill Murray, yeah. <laughs> He is a natural treasure. I'm not bad-mouthing Bill Murray. I he, think just, he's, he just occasionally gets into disagreements with people. He, he does occasionally. Richard Donner, who directed Scrooge. So tell us about Scrooge. Yeah, so Scrooge, in this film, he plays a sort of egotistical, uh, you know, head of a sort of TV department. And like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge in Christmas Carol, he is visited by three spirits that take him back to his past. One is a taxi driver who looks a little bit like Tom Waits. And then the other one is the ghost of Christmas present, who's played by Carol Kane, who's dressed in like some wicked good witch of the West costume and at some points hits um, Bill Murray and actually did hit him for real in some scenes. Like she's absolutely wonderful in the movie, uh, Carol Kane. And it has Bobcat Goldthwaite, who is a uh, a angry uh, former employee who tries to shoot him and then ends up helping him towards the end. Uh, and it also has Robert Mitchum, who plays his boss. Oh yeah, forgot Mitchum was in that. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 a it's a good it's a nice little twist on the uh, Charles Dickens on the Charles Dickens uh, story. And another film set in the eighties. The eighties were a real sort of rich vein of Christmas movies, weren't they? Yeah, a lot of a lot of Christmas movies set in New York, which which was interesting. I think well, New Christmas- York does Christmas very well. Yeah, it, it was um, it was nominated for best makeup, but it lost to uh, Beetlejuice. Well, that seems inevitable. Uh, but speaking of New York doing Christmas well, uh, what is at number four? At number four is I was just about to say Nashville. I was reading the wrong list. Uh, um, <laughs> at number four is Home Alone Two. Lost in New York, and I know right, that. Like, so, well, so yeah, so this is people. Oh, oh, alarm bells are going to be ringing here. We have only picked one Home Alone film on this list, and we've talked a long time about this. We've picked our favorite one. Now, before the internet goes crazy, we're not saying it's better, but we are saying that we we grew up and when we were kids, this was the one that we liked the most. Yeah. I think we we had recorded the first film on VHS, but I think we lost the VHS somehow. And then no but- one is interested in what we had on VHS. Why do you add all this unnecessary padding? No one gives a fuck. We're trying to justify why we like Home Alone Two. Here's some reasons I like Home Alone Two. Here's some reasons I like Home Alone Two. One, yeah. it's building on in jokes that we know already from the franchise, and we, you know what in jokes are funny. Number two. <laughs> The line, suck brick. Number three, the line, don't worry, Harry, I'll get him. <laughs> this, is right. the, this is the way, this is the way Daniel Everything. Stone just picks it up and goes, suck brick, kid. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes me laugh so much. But also, the, uh, uh, the, the kids are afraid of the park. <laughs> um, the whole way that New York location is used, 
um, the Christmas tree, <laughs> you know, the, also the lady in the park with the doves and the oh come all yeah. you faithful bits, very lovely. Um, yeah, but I think the if you could if you could criticize the first film, it is that basically the first film, the payoff of the first film doesn't last long enough. The fun house craziness thing, you know? Yeah. Like you're basically kind of watching the first film and you're waiting for um, that. And a lot of the, a lot of the scenes, like when he's buying the toothbrush and stuff, and it's a bit like, yeah, this is kids movie stuff. Like it's just not, it's not as interesting. It does drag out the movie quite a bit. Exactly. And then there's the bit with the old man and he's like, that's my daughter. And it's like, we don't give a fuck. And granddaughter, like, you know, grand, granddaughter, granddaughter granddaughter sorry sorry um and uh you know it is it has some point but we're waiting for we're waiting desperately for the the payoff the good thing about home alone 2 lost in new york is it's all payoff it's all because he's doing this con all the way through right so it's always the suspense is always there you've got tim curry um and um and you've got uh you know the whole the whole scene where he plays the um uh, the recording of the, the the gangster movie, you know, a little more with the gimpy leg, and um, and the whole, and then the um, and then the the, the 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 shower stuff with his uncle. Like it's just it's laugh after laugh after laugh. Um, and you've got fucking Donald Trump cameo, which you know whatever we won't talk about that. But like um, down the down the hall and to the left. That's because yeah, they were right. that's because they were filming at down the, the hall and to the far right, asshole. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like that's because like you know they were filming at the Plaza Hotel and he had to put himself into the film yeah well and rather anyway uh, i wish a camera equipment had fallen on him or something but and uh, in any case um that i do i just think it's funnier it's got more going on and the, the emotional it's payoff bigger, it's a bigger film you know yeah it's but not, the emo- it, it, yeah what were you gonna say i was gonna say the emotional payoff with the pigeon lady played by brenda fricker is like the whole thing with the turtle doves is much more moving than it is with the old man because it's him thinking like oh we're there you know we shouldn't judge people and stuff like that it's like finding a common connection with someone you wouldn't expect and i think that's 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 for me that's the most moving aspect of 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 the film right and and it it, i mean it's um it some weird noises going on outside. Um, it has, um, it, it has some. Is it Santa? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that you, Santa Claus? Uh, is uh, there are some? Um, there are just some. You know, there is a beautiful moments that are. I think people, people because it's a sequel, overlook that. Um, that it's got just as much punch as the first one, and um, and I think the um, you know, I think people who who like Home Alone one are, are not wrong, and I think there is a lot of emotion in Home Alone one, especially between mother and son. I think they do that better in the first one, the whole missing your mother thing. But like, yeah. if you're watching it now and you want to have a good laugh, you know, if you want to get, I mean, I'm I was ecstatic with laughter when we watched this the the the, the, the a few Christmases ago, and it's funny because in the first one I I got a bit teary because I was like, oh, this is all you know nostalgic, yeah. And, and it, you know, and it, and it really, it really kind of pulls on that. Whereas, whereas Home Alone Two is just a roller coaster ride, you know. Yeah, I think the first film when he's walking and the somewhere in my memory is playing in the background when he sees the family running into the house and meeting each other at Christmas time. That bit always kind of gets me emotional as well because it just it reminds me of like when watching it as as a child and like family at home. The Christmas that we recorded. Yeah, no one gives a chance. Yeah, <laughs> no, but like I, the whole but the sort of nostalgic aspect of it maybe you know a bit emotional and stuff like that. Duh. Yeah, no, it's true and. Um, <laughs> Sweet. But I oh, crying friend. Yeah, Christmas friend. I don't Danish friend. I don't um think that 
that's necessary. I mean, I think it's that thing of like, well, what are we making this film for? Are we making it like for this sentimental middle America kind of uh, Norman Rockwell um, universe? Or are we making a fucking hilarious Christmas film set in New York? And that's, for me, that's why I go, I, I'm, I'm just talking about it. I'm just, I'm not even on the fence. I'm past the fence. I know that I prefer Home Alone 2. And, um, and fight me. <laughs> fight me. Well, actually, that's a line from uh, um, uh, number two film. Anyway, what's number three? So at number three is a film that everyone seems to fucking debate whether it's a fucking Christmas movie or not, and I'm sick of it. It is a Christmas film. Why? There is no debate. This is a Christmas film. It is a Christmas movie, and the second film is (laughs) at Christmas. Without Christmas, the plot would not make sense. Therefore, it is a Christmas film. And the second film is a Christmas movie as well. Yes, but we're talking about the first film. So where, where we picked Home Alone 2 at number four, we are picking Die Hard 1. Yeah. Die Hard with a nothing. Die Hard. Die Hard, full stop. Uh, yes. Is, uh, is the first, is, is number three. Yeah. I I listened to an episode from the Script Notes podcast, which is a podcast I would recommend, especially if you are a budding screenwriter. And they were talking a lot about this movie and like they were talking about it in sort of a positive sense, but also talking about the sort of, other aspects of the film where it kind of makes it feel like this is a film that was made during the Reagan era. <laughs> talking a lot about yeah. like well, talking of talking about the eighties and trading places and stuff. Like this is exact. This is another film that picks up on the, exactly that same theme, like runaway wealth and conspicuous consumption and and like the cynicism that that kind of like business minded capitalism breeds. Yeah, but also the whole like the sort of the race there's a bit of a racism aspect to it. i don't know maybe there's i don't know maybe that's sort of like debatable you saying the film is racist? no or not racist that... no but there's, they were sort of like in the podcast they like were bringing up the, co- the commenting on racism a little bit in the film and stuff because that's what i think like i i think this film has unusually for its time like several good black characters that aren't just tokenized or used as sort of comic relief you know that you have yeah. actually got you've got one of the baddies you've got one of the goodies and you've got the limousine driver <laughs> who's just like you know who maybe Art. probably falls into that slight comic relief category but still i i think it's um i think it's better in a uh at that stuff than a lot of films of its time um yeah. and also, also has... it's, it's 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 just a fucking thrill ride isn't it i mean yeah that's the thing but it's, it's just it's, like it's, watching it you just get a sense of like why don't they make action movies like this anymore why don't they just take the time with the characters and take time with actually making great villains because alan rickman and all the other bad guys are so great they seem very nuanced and three-dimensional especially the the guy who's the Texans guy who looks a little bit like huey lewis and he's like i put money on them assholes and stuff like that and then the the uh, the Asian bad guy who like before the shootout snipes steals a, ca- a candy bar like he steals oh, yeah, a crunch he's become bar. a sort of cult hero hasn't he yeah but well, he was and, and, and good enough yeah good enough yeah don't forget <laughs> him he's fucking amazing he's, he's a fucking amazing it's such a great well, the movie with, the problem with this is I heard a, I heard someone talking about this the other day on a different podcast and then like nowadays action movies are more or less like superhero films right and a lot of the yeah. time it's like well the stakes are either there's two types of bad guys in superhero films. And it was the same actually in some of the recent Bond films. It's either expendable cannon fodder that just feels like this, like no stakes, or it's like impossibly high stakes of like an unbeatable villain who's like really strong and, and has all these powers. And it's like, what you have in this is just smart, slick people with actual brains and personalities who come in 
and do the work and in many ways that's actually scarier like having terrorists or in this case like robbers who are you know i'm an exceptional have... thief <laughs> exceptional thief, exceptional people. i said um, i meant i meant exceptional thief sorry yes you're an exceptional muppet um <laughs> the um the, they have um the, you know th that is the, the stakes are higher because of the personalities of the bad guys involved the fact that one of the bad guys loses his brother goes crazy and it's like now he's an unreliable uh cog in the wheel the fact that rickman is you know um playing you know to some degree a kind of double game um and um you know it's all very um it's 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 this idea that they have a plan they have a plan that we're working out as the film progresses that you know and, they, and these days it's like what you get instead is films that say like here's what the bad guys want to do here is their plan now these people have to stop it and it's like what you get in this is this unfolding situation like all you know at when they start shooting their guns at the beginning is there are some bad guys here with guns and they and they're fucking shit up that's yeah. all we know and then we start to and then it develops the plot from there on and you know and their whole plan with the, the, the with the fbi uh, <laughs> you went to the, you wanted a christmas miracle i give you the fbi <laughs> i you know the, the whole way that that is unfolds is incredibly satisfying and yeah. um we, we learn we learn what they're doing at the same time bruce willis does right and so and uh, so there's that's a good example of like excellent writing um but i think you know it's to answer your question i mean that's for me it's the fact that audiences are given credit um for you know uh having brains and we're not just catering to the lowest common denominator and also i think the superhero film has changed the paradigm uh, of how we consume action i also think there's something in the fact that and there's a great podcast out at the moment called unclear and present danger about you know essentially like dad movies uh from the 90s um, uh, i want to check that out yeah with jamel Bowie and john gans really good podcast um it um you know it talks a lot about this kind of crisis of not necessarily a crisis but this sort of shift in american identity at the end of the cold war where the russians are gone as this kind of existential threat and america's looking for like american men are looking for a new kind of you know what is our, what is our reason to be in the world like who's our enemy like who are we fighting and yeah. um and so you get these kind of interesting films where you get like films about irish terrorists like ronin or or patriot games or films about like slick european terrorists like this one or air force one and you know and all this stuff and then and then 9 11 happened and that's the other thing i think 9 11 changes the paradigm yeah, of the film too like i think after 9 11 a film like this wouldn't be as possible because it's like well you know terrorists after 9-11 if you're going to make a terrorist film or you know like if you're going to make tv show series that sort of cynically cash in on like islamophobia and stuff like 24 or homeland it's it's you know it, it feels like you're going to make movies about terrorism that relates to the moment we're in like zero dark 30 or whatever so which is a good film um yeah yeah i just think i just think that era of like the the slightly fun slightly gratuitous action film is 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 past but maybe it'll come back because there is that nostalgia factor in there like maybe they'll start bring i mean if they could start rebooting die hard and kick bruce Bill bruce willis into orbit um put him up on that fucking asteroid where he belongs uh then um you know um well he's busy making direct-to-video movies and kind of sleepwalking through every movie so they'll probably get somebody else or like i mean yeah, the, the, well, i mean like i think invent a new franchise which yeah. has good you know good fun action in it but um yeah and i think yeah. it's the world we look i think the world of reagan and clinton 
the American world was more sort of optimistic, was less questioning about things like class and race and um, was happier to sort of digest these films. And I think now, um, for good reason, people have more put more sort of question marks next to yeah. films about white men with guns, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about this film. This this film is so so much fun, and and it's 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 one of those like miracles of casting. In that you know Bruce Willis, who is now a bloated bald wanker, um, is uh, was then someone who was like just not really like his career hadn't really taken off. He was on the TV show Moonlighting at the time, yeah. And he grabs it with both. He grabs the opportunity with both hands in this film. You get Alan Rickman's given his cinematic debut right yeah uh, and you know hot hotly tipped you know young british actor and just like makes carves out this role for himself makes it his own there are so many great performances throughout the film and um and it's just you know it's so rich and then the script is just so fucking funny but it also Incredible. has all these yeah it also just goes come out to the coast get together have a few laughs hey spreckensy talk yeah exactly Hans. <laughs> Booby, I'm your <laughs> white knight. <laughs> oh, that guy. That what's his name? Ellis. Such uh, an asshole. Uh, yeah, as, as the he's played by uh Hart Hart Bockner. Yeah, um, but also the guy William Atterton, who's also in Ghostbusters, who plays another sort of asshole character, Walter Peck in the Ghostbusters yeah, he films. Seems, he plays he has Richard. A face. That was just born to play arseholes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it was like I think this these sort of those sort of roles ruined him because you know the line in Ghostbusters where they say where they him they call him Dickless and yeah. like pe- people on the street like someone apparently shouted at him going Hey Dickless and, like, and so he just got really angry about the movies and stuff that he was in. I love how Americans just cannot accept that films aren't real. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Uh, but he's but William Thornburg is such a great character he's great in the sugarland express um he's, yes he's, he is he's, he's, he's really he's, good in that and i just love the the satirical aspect where when it cuts to the news people when they're talking about like you know the, it's like here's the here's the author of test uh, no, <laughs> terrorist hostage hostage terrorist and they're talking about all the stuff and that's talking, so funny and that, that is brilliant <laughs> terrorist, hostage, hostage, terrorist. that's so fucking funny as, as in uh helsinki sweden Finland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. And then the yeah, agents and then the agents show up. Robert Davy and Grandel Bush playing agents Johnson and Johnson. Johnson, Johnson no relation. That's another great <laughs> line. Ooh, it's just like Saigon, eh, boy? I was a junior high, dickhead. Um, yeah, it's um it, it, it's it's a thrill ride. And it's um what is it, about two hours? And it, um, yeah, it's 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 a li- little bit over two hours. Like yeah, uh, it was perfect. It was perfect yeah. length, perfect film for for what it is. And um, yeah, tremendous fun. Die Hard Two gets a lot of stick, but I think it's pretty good as well. Yeah, but also um, I feel like nowhere, the- nowhere near as good as this. Let's be honest. Like it's a huge no, drop-off. No, but I feel like the stakes are a little bit. They do add some stakes a little bit in regards to like the airport is taken over and the whole thing with the planes running out of fuel in the sky and things like that. Yeah, we need a better. They needed a better main bad guy in that one. He's too. Um, he's too serious. Um, it's nice to see John Amos and Franco Nero, but they needed better a better bad guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Die Hard, great. So um, <clears throat> number two. Um, number two is the movie Lion in Winter. 
or the lion yes. in winter, which I have seen in winter, not a lion in winter. Um, <laughs> the lion in winter uh, is um, is simply brilliant, and the reason why I argued for it to be so high on the list is it's genuinely a great film in its own right. And both of our top two films are what I would consider perfect movies, um, and where everything you know, a lot of these other films are good movies, good entertainments, good you know, well made. Uh, holiday flicks these two are, i think stand as some of the greatest films you know among the greatest films in history um the lion winter is is a film that was um let me see uh i can't remember who wrote or directed it though but it is it's, it's directed, directed by anthony harvey and uh, written by james goldman right so uh thank you for that um mr imdb uh the um it's it's about Henry II pulling calling his family together for Christmas. Uh, which we're in medieval England, and um, his wife Eleanor of Aquitaine is played by um, Catherine Hepburn, and his sons are you know of the future um, King John, the future uh, King Richard, the Lionheart, um, you know, and 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 the other one. Um, Timothy Dalton is in this movie. Timothy Dalton is in it. Richard is played by Anthony Hopkins, um, and. Um, and of course, of course, Henry II is played by Peter O'Toole. The uh, second time, is, the second time that he's played, uh, right? Henry yeah, he'd, he'd already played him in Beckett um, with Richard Burton, but he is just, just fucking tremendous in this. The 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 writing is so sharp. It's the plot is essentially they're all intriguing against each other, and the boys are trying to figure out like who's going to inherit. The, the throne essentially and um there there's so much like intrigue and nonsense going on and eleanor's allegiances keep shifting and they're estranged like peter at all basically has kind of an open relationship uh, well not an open relationship but like openly sleeps with another woman um mm. it's very complicated by the fact that eleanor of aquitaine also had slept with his dad so there's that sort of weird layer of stuff going on and um it's just it's an intense series of like powerhouse acting performances with with just some of the best writing and acting you're going to see on screen um great kind of medieval castle setting um and you know it, it, it occasionally it gets like really really intense uh, but it you know um it's it's a it's a great like metaphor for the awkward family christmas and people actually trying to kill you um and um, christmas time a great a great a great a great time for uh you know, family dynamics and problems. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think this is sort of the ultimate example of that. Um, I, I think the film really belongs to Hepburn and O'Toole. And it was, they hadn't, they didn't know each other and they were somewhat, there was an age gap between them, um, which is actually true to life. Uh, for once, a film got this dynamic right where she oh, really? was a little, yeah, she was a little bit older in real life than Henry II. Um, oh. And, uh, but they would, they took each other very seriously and they acted their socks off and then they would um, relax at the end of the day with cocktails and cigarettes and just sort of get on. And, and I think, um, you know, their methods were different and their personalities were different, but I think they grew to really respect and admire one another. And they're so good. I mean, you can really believe these people are married. Um, and uh, you gotta and also, have, like, you gotta have good chemistry when you're, when you're right, playing roles also, like that. But also like that, that there are two people who both hate and love each other, but also understand 
what they're doing in yeah. terms of like the sort of medieval geopolitics and it's a great i think it's a great example of like the medieval period being evoked really well like it's not we're not talking about the court jester or something where it's just like or, or robin hood or you know the the fake kind of gaudy costumes like this is like dark brown you know uh smelly castles damp and cold and you know um it it just it really makes you feel uh like you're there the last time we watched it we made a big stew i remember and had this kind of medieval kind of you know cozy uh banquet where we watched this film it's really i really really recommend it i think you yeah. enjoy the hell out of it um, i probably and, would uh, and i think a lot of people out there um uh, who haven't seen it should should uh, should give it a watch and i think they'll agree that um while uh muppet christmas carol is a more iconic uh christmas film um i think that this stands as one of you know one of the great films of the 60s and also um one of the one of the great uh yeah. you know films sort of of, of about medieval times it's it's sort of it's shakespearean it's uh it's it's beautiful and it's uh it's ex it exactly understands the assignment and it is a christmas film nice well i mean um bit about james goldman the screenwriter he was the younger brother of william goldman that's right yes i forgot that and he also wrote the screenplay for two films he wrote robert and marion with sean connery as robin hood and audrey hepburn plays marion in that film and yeah. he also did uh write the screenplay for white knights which we did mention on another top 10 episode that's right. We're not knights with a K, but uh... knights. Knights is in what it is now. <laughs> where a, I, where wasn't I just am, a medieval, you know, fetishist who only wrote about medieval stuff. No, but that was the yeah. that's the um, Baryshnikov and uh, Gregory Hines movie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what is at number one? So at number one, I feel like it's, it's it's obvious for people who are listening what our number one is going to be, and it is Frank Capra's classic uh, Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Um, where to start? I mean, yeah, it, it, this is one of those things, a bit like last week where we just kind of had to put The Godfather at number one. There's no way around. This is the greatest Christmas film of all time. It is not just a great film in its own right. It is also a great Christmas film. It is So it has that thing of, it's an iconic Christmas film that everyone watches at Christmas. Like, let's be honest, people aren't exactly tuning in to watch The Lion in Winter every Christmas, although they should. It's a Wonderful Life is on TV every Christmas. Everyone watches it. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people traditionally watch um, It's a Wonderful Life. My dear friend Ed, it's like a family tradition of his that they always watch this film around Christmas. Um, so it has that. It's also a brilliant film. And I think a lot of people, and I've seen this a bit on, on, on social media recently, a lot of people who are watching the film for the first time think that it's going to be like corny and a bit hokey and a bit kind of... Um, you know, a little bit like the film we mentioned, uh, I mentioned as one of my uh, honorable mentions, the, the Bishop's Wife, which is a sort of classic Hollywood sort of um, evocation of Christmas with lots of fake snow and, and kind of saccharine sentimentality. Like, It's a Wonderful Life is pure cinema. Like, yeah. it is so inventive. It is so um, uh, brilliantly shot and directed. It is dark. It is, um, it is, it, 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 this, it, it feels, um, you know moody and portentous in certain areas um yeah, it's also it, it's, just tremendously well acted the cast yeah. is real like actually we could have talked about this as a top 10 ensemble cast as well because it is it is a fucking amazing cast yeah james stewart donna reed lionel barrymore thomas mitchell henry travers ward bond gloria graham i didn't know i forgot gloria graham was in this movie yeah right 
Yeah, no, it's- but it's a it's a fantastic film, and also like you know Lionel Barrymore was in another Frank Capra movie, which I saw recent, which I saw um, over the summer. It's uh, You Can't Take It With You, where he plays a more sort of heroic character in that film. That 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 one's that one's a really good movie. I mean, Lionel Barrymore could do could do both, couldn't he? I mean, he could do yeah. both villainous and and avuncular, um, and. Um, you know, he has done both to great effect. I mean, he's Mr. Potter is one of the great villains of cinema. Um, and um, and then you've got, you know, you've got your, uh, you know, this rogues gallery of other characters, like Thomas Mitchell, who's the sort of hopeless uh, uncle character. And you've got, I mean, Donna Reed is just so, she's just radiant mm. in this film. Um, and it's, and it is, you know, this is perhaps the, iconic James Stewart film and it's also an interesting moment in Stewart's career because he's just back from the war yes. and so where before he goes away to fight you know and to fight I mean to really to fly bombers in in, in Europe um, he was you know in films like uh, Shop Around the Corner and Destry Rides Again and the Philadelphia Story he's a younger fresh face perhaps even a sort of callow youthful character there's something in his face and in his eyes when he comes back that wasn't there yeah you can kind of yeah you can kind of see that yeah i mean and you can take it with you which was i think the first film that he did with frank capri you can really have that sort of young youthfulness about him and i think in this one you can really tell that the war has really affected him and and um i mean just speaking about that wasn't the this movie was competing against the best years of our of, of our lives which was also about the war and people coming home from the war if i'm not mistaken yeah, if i'm I mean, not mistaken in this film, of course famously james stewart's character doesn't you know, um, what's his name? Bailey. Um, uh, George Bailey. George Bailey. He doesn't go away to fight because he has a, a an ear problem, and his brother does instead, and becomes a big hero and stuff. Um, which must have been a weird experience for James Stewart to act. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it, it. It's just what is not to like about this film. I mean, it, it really also is one of those films where you know, the character arc that you get is so uh, intense where he really is at, you know, he's pushed right down to the lowest possible ebb um, before he's able to find his way back. And, um, you know, it's, um, it, it really is, it's, it's really a, a, a terrifying moment of, of bleakness, you know, that, um, that he may, um, you know, he may, not get out you know you feel actually like you know a lot of films of this period you're like well the hero is going to be fine but in this film there are moments where you're just like i just don't know what's going to happen and then there is that sort of magical realism thing that you get and that's where it really lends itself to that traditional christmas tale you know that there is an an angel character that takes him on this hypothetical journey that shows um what would have happened yeah what would have happened had he not been born yeah had he not yeah and um and and it's uh it's a nightmare you know there's it's a real christmas nightmare it's like it's a it's much more intense than anything in any of those scrooge adaptations it's like it's it's truly just so bleak yeah it's like um, in back to the future part two when he comes back and they come back from the future and everything's changed because of the book being taken by Biff and all that stuff, and it's just yeah, kind of I frightening. Say, I will say this is a bit more artfully done than Back yeah, to the Future. I know, Part I know, two. I know, but it's a little, but like it ha- the <laughs> comparison idea done very differently. Yes, um, yes. But then, then there's that payoff where he's given that second chance, and he, um, and he comes, he comes to life again, and he goes back, and then there's that moment, and 
it's also, I think, very important to look at this film in the political context. Like Frank Capra, I don't think was especially left-wing, but this to me, I think could be read as a left-wing film, especially as, you know, the evil capitalist banker is a villain that George Bailey is trying to do what's best for the collective, like with a sort of kind of collective approach yeah. to shared wealth and shared ownership. Like it's all you know, borderline communist. Um, I, think and, he, um, I, think, I think Lionel Barrymore's makeup, he was made to look like Calvin Coolidge. Really? Um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that he certainly looks like a traditional kind of like establishment Republican kind of... Um, uh, aristocrat character, or not aristocrat, but you know, like sort of plutocrat. Um, and yeah, so I think there's some themes in this that are really, um, really wonderful about, um, uh, you, you know, about where what we should do for one another and and how um you know we should look after one another and how the economy should look after us and, and not be hijacked by um you know wealthy bastards. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, so there's that. So it has all the Christmas elements. It's got the messaging. It's got the magical realism. It's got the let's be honest. There is some corniness and there is some Americana, yeah. but it just adds to the picture. And then most of all, it's just so well executed and brilliantly directed and brilliantly acted. It's just it's the full package. I think it's one of the greatest um, movies of the '40s. Full stop. It's one of the great Hollywood pictures, and it's the greatest. Christmas movie of all time, right? I mean, it just yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of that movie. And then you know, the bit at the end when they start, when Ward Bond like leads everyone to sing "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." Depend, like in that moment of the movie, I still get teary eyed thinking about it. It's such like yeah, oh god, yeah, absolutely. I, I go to pieces every time. It's like when you're describing the scene from Dumbo with the baby mine when he's being rocked by his mum after she's been locked up, and it's like that. You, you just can't help but get a little bit teary eyed no, and moved get a by it. Yeah. Just thinking about it. Anyway, um, I think Christmas is also a good time for tears. So and yeah. I think that's what that's what It's a Wonderful Life recognizes. And I think it's important for people to remember when the film was made, just come through a long war. Um, the depression is is recently, you know, um, still in uh, people's minds as well. So, you know, it's um, it's an important film. It's a and it's a, a good piece of history. So um, so if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it and you think maybe oh I, I didn't really get it first time around go back reevaluate it and you'll you won't be sorry i do need to go yes uh that concludes another episode of the uh of our top 10 episodes uh, this has been our top 10 favorite christmas movies like we've said before lists are bullshit so if you disagree with the list who cares Remember, <laughs> lists are bullshit. <laughs> bullshit so yeah yeah uh, Make yeah. your own list, and Make, it'll be just as bullshit as ours. Yeah. Uh, should we say what the next top ten is going to be? Well, we don't know yet, do we? Uh, yeah. Just if you had any ideas, we could do one um, about snow movies because it's going to be January. <laughs> it's going to be cold and um, dark. And... I don't. Uh, well, let, let's talk about this. But we do have some. And if people have any ideas, they can get in touch on social media, right? Yeah. You can follow us at, at Homes Movies Pod. Uh, you can also send us an email at homesmoviespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me at, at Fabricius91. Adam is the Northampton Dane, probably the only Northampton Dane. And if you want, you can follow us on Instagram. I'm Anders f homes and adam is adam.h.f.homes and um yeah that uh that concludes this episode and i just want to say another thing and there's another christmas movie that's also pretty good and i'll say it as an honorable honorable mention and that is batman returns 
I can't believe you're ending this on Batman Returns. <laughs> Can we just end it to say that everyone who's been listening throughout the year, thank you. Thank you for all your downloads. Thank and, you. Um, thank you for being part of the Holmes Movies crew and uh, yeah, and putting up with our in, in, incredibly rambling and weird podcast. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, we'll be more, there'll be more where that came from. So happy, yeah. uh, happy Christmas and uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Merry New Year. And, uh, and um, yeah, we'll see you all on the other side. Right. Had a boy, Clarence.